Hello and welcome to Mining Stock Daily with me, Paul Harris. We are here at the 2023 Vancouver Resource Investment Conference in Vancouver, Canada. We're talking about gold exploration and development. A great pleasure to be joined by Dan Wilton, CEO of First Mining Gold. Good afternoon, Dan. Paul, good afternoon. Thanks for uh, coming to join us here in Vancouver and it's great to see you in person. Well, likewise, uh, we, we've been sort of talking uh, over quite an extended period of time and you know been following the development yeah. and the progress of first gold sorry first mining gold so it's really good to be sitting down with you in person again uh, lots to talk about um, many many different themes and I don't really know where to start but uh, <laughs> I'll start at perhaps the uh, the most recent most pressing thing um, you put out a good announcement this morning you just uh, acquired a whole bunch of land in Quebec from uh, I Am Gold, yes. which is uh, uh, adjacent to the Duke Parquet, your Duke Parquet project and deposit. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. What's the important thing about this land package you've just acquired? So the really important part of this land package is it, it ties together the two sort of uh, separate parts of the land package that we had in Quebec. So people often forget that in addition to Du Parquet, which we consolidated our ownership of earlier or late last year, we also own the Pitt and Duquesne, which is probably a bigger land package, including a past-producing uh, historic mine at Duquesne. More traditional narrow-vein, high-grade underground type structures, not the big bulk tonnage disseminated mineralization at Duparquet. But this IM Gold package literally fits in between them and gives us a really strategic part, uh, this part uh, just to the north, kind of in the U-shape in the Duparquet um, mineral holdings. So, Lots of exploration uh, results pretty much right on the, on the border of the mineral tenure, which is always a good sign. When you have a couple of sniffs on either side, it means that people weren't able to do the work right up through the boundaries. And those are always, we love situations like that where we come across them. So really important because it does tie the whole thing together in one contiguous package. So tied together, how many kilometers of uh, extension well, do you have there now? We now have about 19 kilometers of the Porcupine Destor Fault, right? This is one of the main controlling structures in the Abitibi. Uh, Duparquet is a splay off the Porcupine Destor Fault. Uh, Duquesne, again, sort of a splay off the Porcupine Destor. So really consolidating the ownership in the major thrust of, that, of those big regional structures and lots of room for exploration up and down there. Okay, in Duparquet you've got about 5.8 million ounces at the moment and uh, taking on board your comment about the, the, the boundary zone, you know, that I imagine is you would consider low hanging fruit to, you know, you can get out there, drill it and relatively quickly. Yeah prove up some ounces. Yeah, well, listen, I think the approach at Duparquet, we're gearing up for a drill program there, uh, just kind of going through permitting now, uh, but want to get drilling there, you know, this winter slash spring. And I think the approach is going to be a little bit of confirmation in Phil, making sure we understand, getting a little more information on structure. So we've really gone back to first principles in the, you got to remember, there's 270,000 meters of drilling done between 2008 and 2014 at Duparquet. So going back to first principles to look at structures, like really start decomposing the, uh, the geologic uh, structure and understanding of the deposit and then starting to build that up. So um, yeah, I think our goal here is both infill understanding, better understanding of the structural environment, uh, and then at the same time, you know, the Duparquet main zone is not cut off. It's open to the west. It's open to depth. And then some of the areas around where we've added this IM gold ground, um, 
you know, there were a couple of satellite pits, uh, the, um, uh, the Duparquet, Central Duparquet and the Dumaco pits, uh, which are basically right on the border of that iron gold ground. And they were cut off not because of drilling, but cut off because of mineral tenure. So yeah, I think looking at those extensions and looking at depth, you've got to remember, Duparquet was mined down to about 500 meters underground, but very few drill holes below that in a geologic context in the Abitibi where, you know, the saying is the real mines don't start until a kilometer down, right? So they <laughs> all get better in depth. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Wait till you see what it's going to be like when we get down two kilometers. Um, I'd like to sort of dig into a little bit more into how this, uh, this deal came together. I mean, Iron Gold has uh, been through a tough time with its Cote development in Ontario. Um, it's had to raise more capital, and because of that, it's been divesting assets. Is this um, one of those examples? It's been had to divest things, so this came became available? Oh, uh, I think once we demonstrated that we'd kind of consolidated the ownership around, uh, around Duparquet, um, it, we kind of became the logical partner here. And this is, yeah, keep in mind, this is... we. What we've uh, paid IM Gold uh, for this is really in shares, so it's not something that they're turning into cash. This is this isn't going to change any financing well, outlook for, for IM Gold. Yeah. Not for four months, <laughs> yeah. uh, and even then, it's going to be worth way more by the time they get it. But uh, no, we're we're delighted to welcome them as shareholders. But you know, you can just kind of see in the land package when you see the when you see the map. Um, we really are the logical owner here because it does allow for some expansion. So they've kept a royalty on it. Uh, and yeah, it was it was really, you know, we were looking around as we have been doing at Spring Pole lately, looking around, uh, trying to get a sense of the um, the exploration potential on that goes around the deposits. And as we started looking, as we were kind of getting close to consolidate our ownership at Duparquet, this was a very logical outreach for us. So we reached out to them and, you know, it was something that they obviously we, they didn't have the center of gravity in the area, so they were happy to move this into our hands and uh, become shareholders and wish us the best and uh, and success in starting to grow it here. Excellent. Now, you were sort of um, starting to sort of talk about doing some preliminary economic studies, etc., on Duparquet. Yes. Is, now that you've um, made this acquisition of this additional land and obviously the additional potential there, is that now sort of pushed out a little bit? No, we're, we're actually kicking that process off next week. Um, we've uh, retained a, an engineering firm to help us with that, and we want to get going on it. And part of it is, you know, when we did, we updated the resource at Duparquet just actually before we closed the acquisition uh, in September. And as we were looking at the, you know, just the Whittle Pit runs and trying to understand, you know, what the grade sensitivity of the deposit was at different cutoff grades, it was very clear to us that as you escalate the cutoff grade, there is quite a nice cohesive uh, higher grade, lower strip starter pit in this deposit. Like 10 to 15 million tons at two grams plus. So in the middle of the Abitibi. Like, it's just, it, it doesn't get much better than that in terms of you know infrastructure for an open pit mining operation. Um, so I think that's really some early trade-offs to think about size and scope of what we'd like to do. Clifton Star in their 2014 PFS had done a 10,000 ton per day plant that uh, produced a concentrate and then looked at uh, processing the concentrate through pressure ox to get increased recoveries. 
what we've you know what we've seen as we look at this is uh, a the world of selling concentrates has changed. I think for gold cons. So you know we're going to look at, at a bunch of different trade-offs on the flow sheet here, and whether we sell a concentrate or whether we take it to Doré ourselves. But there's there's enough resource here to really underpin, we think, a very substantial operation. So I don't know that we scope that as a big project or if we scope it as a small and profitable project, and you know worry about the expansion sometime down the road. Uh, but I think we're probably leaning towards starting to scope the smaller tonnage, higher grade project at the outset and really integrating that into the sort of environmental remediation and cleanup of the existing environmental legacy on the site. Because that's really the vision here, right? This is a project that needs to happen because it also, at the same time, leads to dealing with the historic tailings that are there. Which, by the way, 4 million tons creating 0.9, like at a zero strip. There's a lot to like about yeah. those tailings. You know, metallurgy, metallurgy work done on them, like it recovers. There's, there's a lot to like about that. Uh, but then, you know, just integrating that with some of the rest of the infrastructure that needs to be cleaned up and, you know, some of the, the things that need to come down. So, yeah, it's all looking at it as one integrated, you know, economic development project that's also going to do a lot of uh, benefit for you know, the natural environment and cleaning up what's been sitting there for 70 years. Okay, let's bring in Spring Pole now, which is in Ontario. You've got 4.9 million ounces there. You're working towards a pre-feasibility study. Um, it's, it sounds like you could be facing the, uh, the luxury problem of, you know, you've got Dupacay, it's a bigger resource. You potentially get it even bigger with this IM Gold land um, you know, scheduling. Are priorities changing because of this, changing towards Quebec and away from Ontario? Uh, no, not, not prioritizing anything away from Ontario at all. I think uh, having to find the resources to make sure that both are appropriately, uh, appropriately moved forward is probably the right way to say it. Um, so Spring Pole, uh, we've done a pre-feasibility study. PFS was done in 2021. We're about 75% done the feasibility study now. Uh, we may just update a pre-feasibility study because we'll probably target the fees to come out, call it six months before the environmental assessment approval is expected. So targeting submitting a final environmental assessment in mid-24. So that you know 12-month process should target environmental assessment approval mid-25. Um, so I think we really don't really need a feasibility study until the end of 2024. You need that for project financing and you know all the how you move down the path of understanding the financing options for the project. But in the meantime, we've changed the scope of the project and what we've submitted to the EA in the EA pretty substantially from what we had in the uh, PFS. So we would really kind of like to maybe update a PFS just to give a snapshot of the current scope of the project and update capital and operating costs. What, what, what has been the change of scope there? Dan? Biggest scope change is with respect to the tailings and the tailing strategy. So in the pre-feasibility study, we wanted to show that we could uh, build this mine without a conventional tailing standard. So it looked at uh, you know basically a lined uh, tailings and waste rock, uh, dry stack tailings and waste rock co-disposal, filtered tails. That needed a very big filter plant. 
which was about $100 million of our $300 million plant capex. Uh, but it also meant that you're, you know, stacking your tailings sequentially. And you have to manage the sulfur in the tailings and, you know, with all of that, uh, as we were getting ready to submit the draft EA, did a lot of work on trade-off studies and what's really the best uh, opportunity for long-term uh, with the project in terms of structuring the tailings. So what we landed on was we were already floating the tails, so concentrating 95% of the sulfur into you know, 15% of the mass. So uh, we landed on, call it a 20 million ton conventional tailings dam, uh, which you would keep underwater, so keep the sulfur from being able to oxidize. And then uh, we had uh, initially in the draft EA submitted something that looked like, uh, you know, dry stack nag tails with nag and pag waste rock codisposal. Um, so as we've been looking at that, one of the questions that's come back to us from the regulators is, well, how do you make sure that your tails really mix in with the waste rock and you get good encapsulation? And someone said, you know, one way you could do that, why do you have to filter them? Why don't you just, you know, thicken them to a degree, a significant degree, and then basically co-dispose it so the thickened tails go in between all the voids of your waste rock and, you know, produce better encapsulation, uh, a better overall kind of environmental performance of this facility. And you're going to need to collect and treat the water anyway. So we're looking at that, and we think that could have some potentially significant capital costs and operating cost savings. Not to, you know, not to mention greenhouse gas footprint, because we were basically trucking filtered tails from the plant over to, to put on the, on the co-disposal facility. Well, that's 100 million tons of tails that you're going to have to truck. It's not far, but, you know, it all adds up, right? Yeah. Diesel usage. So if you're slurrying, a, you know, a thickened, uh, a thickened slurry over, you're doing that with electricity and you know there's lots of ways that we think that could be could be positive net overall big positive benefit for the project okay thank you I want to um, talk now a bit you know a bit further down the road looking at project development you know we, we've spoken before the, yeah. the, the aim of the company is to become a mining company a producer um, is that still the case well, we'll um, and I want to draw re refer to a very good slide you've got in your deck about the, the, the scarcity of large gold deposits yeah um, you know, we're coming into a, what many people believe is to a higher price cycle for the precious metals. Yep. Um, a lot of speakers here at VRIC have been talking about the, the, the dearth of projects, how sooner or later the majors have got to um, focus on growth again. They perhaps haven't been investing so much in exploration. They certainly haven't been investing in mine development. So um, as and when that comes around, are they, is there going to be another M&A cycle? Yep. So what's your thinking there and how are you positioning first mining? Well, I think on the first point of are we uh, driving to become a producer, uh, I think we don't have a dogmatic view on that. It's not like this is a production or bust company, right? It's run by people who've done a lot of work in advancing and developing projects, and my background is in corporate finance and M&A, and helped a lot of companies and shareholders find very good and profitable exits by selling projects to bigger companies who then went on to build them because it better matches that risk of a large scale build with a larger cap, a larger larger uh, market cap company. 
So uh, we're not dogmatic about it, but I think we know that over the next two and a half or three years, we can take a lot of risk out of these projects. We can move them down the path through environmental assessment. Uh, you know, we want to work with the indigenous communities around us to move toward agreements and you know consent of those communities to develop the projects and see the benefits that the projects can bring to those communities. Uh, and now we have an exploration team that's able to look at these projects and say that five million ounces at Springpole is the starting point, not the end point, right? We've got in one kilometer, we've got five million ounces in basically the Springpole deposit. We've got another 70,000 hectares in the Bertucci Greenstone Belt, which we're just starting to scratch the surface on. So I think a couple of things, what that means for us is you know, we're sitting today, and on that chart that we're talking about in the in the presentation, you know, what's interesting is almost all of the larger uh, size projects are in construction right now. You know, Cote, Blackwater, Greenstone, Back River, uh, Valentine. So there's five of the top 15 projects in Canada by size that are all in construction. So two years from now, those aren't going to be on this list anymore. And you look at the undeveloped gold projects, First Mining is going to hold two of the top 10 undeveloped gold projects in Canada by size. Like, is that worth more than eight bucks an ounce? You know, one of them two years from now is going to be, I think, a stone's throw from environmental assessment approval, right? So as we take risk out of these things, they're going to get back up to those values that developers need to see in order to attract the size of capital they need to move them forward. And we're going to need to see these projects get to a point where, um, you know, larger companies are willing to come and step in to buy them. And you look at history, they've tended to buy those for $100 to $200 an ounce, right? And you get into a good gold market uh, and a constructive market like we're in, those numbers can go up. So, you know, when we're trading today at eight bucks an ounce, you know, advanced stage projects should be at 50 and should get taken over for 100 to 200. There's lots of upside here for first mining shareholders to see this go. But I think the important thing to focus on is just this scarcity. And so sometimes people ask us, well, okay, you've got all these ounces. Why are you doing exploration? Like you're going to take dilution to raise money, to explore. And the answer is everything that we can do to demonstrate that these projects are not, you know, not finished at 5.8 million ounces, but, you know, that's the starting point, and we've got another one or two. It just moves them more and more into the must-own category. And I think just a, a final comment on, on this particular theme, there's very few projects or deposits with sort of 10 million ounces. Yeah. And so, I, taking your point, adding ounces, getting closer to that 10 million ounce mark really puts you, or would put you in a unique threshold or unique, uh, unique group? Yeah, I think I think every ounce above five million puts you into more rarefied air, you yeah. know? And it may be at one deposit, it may be a kilometer away, it may be demonstrating value in a district, but, you know, it's all something that can ultimately integrate into a vision of these projects. And I believe, honestly, both Duparquet and Springpole are projects where people will mine for a generation, you know? Part of it, there's a lot more to find on the Porcupine Destor Fault. Like even just, we don't have nearly the size of land package in Quebec that we do in Ontario, but even just in the you know 10 or 15 kilometers that we have now, uh, 
there's it's very sparsely explored for being as perspective as it is. And then you look at at the seventy thousand hectares of the the prospectivity at uh, in the Bertucci with Springpool, and that's where you know it gets really exciting. It, a lot of people who believe that like the Red Lake camp is sitting in the Bertucci somewhere there. It just needs to be found. So, you know, we're starting. We got drills turning now and we've got four or five regional targets we want to test this winter. A couple closer to spring pool, a couple a little bit further afield. But, you know, I think any degree of success in that exploration really does warrant re-rating these projects to a different category. Right. Okay, thank you, Dan. Uh, to finalize, to finish, uh, put you on the spot, what are the sort of two or three key objectives that you really want to achieve this year for First Mining? Key objectives, well, uh, one of them will declare victory before the end of January and expanding our footprint at Duparquet, because we really did want to do that. And I think, you know, getting drilling at Duparquet, uh, getting a PEA out on Duparquet this year to start scoping a project that we think we can take forward uh, is very exciting. And then at Springpool, very excited for exploration results from this winter program to start testing some of these regional targets. And, uh, and on top of that, you know, it's not very exciting, but the just progressing back and forth with regulators through the uh, environmental assessment process. And the other thing is we are uh, kind of committed to um, uh, kicking off what is really, I think, the first uh, indigenous-led assessment uh, of a project in Ontario with Springpool. So with our shared territory protocol nations, we've committed uh, to an Anishinaabe-led process that they are basically going to run a kind of a parallel process to the provincial and federal EA, but one that's in their control, make sure that, that we're all looking at the things that are very important to the communities. And as a, as a process of really understanding the project, and ultimately, we hope, securing community consent for the project. So. I think we want to. We want to. We're very proud of that process. It's pretty cutting edge that's being rolled out, and we, you know, want to support that and participate in that process as well. So I think you're going to be sitting at the end of this year, looking back on a on a company that holds, you know, two of the ten largest gold projects in Canada. One substantially advanced. Another one that's had kind of maiden economics put on it, you know, and the first time people have looked at it in a decade. And, uh, you know, if that's still trading at eight bucks an ounce in a rising gold market at the end of the year, then people can call for my head, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope that doesn't happen. Um, First Mining Gold trades on the TSX under FF and on the OTCQX under FFNGF. Dan Wilton, CEO, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Paul, a total pleasure. Thanks for coming up to Vancouver. And that's all for me, Paul Harris. Stay tuned for more from Mining Stock Daily. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.